Hello, welcome to Be, Make, Do, a Soulmakers podcast where we talk about what it takes to pursue your calling as a culture maker with spiritual wholeness and creative freedom. I'm your host, Lisa Smith, and I'm here with producer Dan ABH. Hello, everyone. Yay. And we are just so excited to encourage and inspire you to become who you were created to be, to make what you were created to make, and to do what you were created to do. So we are in our second season, which is very exciting. Yes. And I have some great news. We are going to be heading down on the road. We're going to be heading down to North Carolina in March for the Breath and the Clay Conference with artists, which is so, it's such a fantastic, I've never been able to be there before, but it's uh, an outgrowth of the Makers and Mystics podcast. Yes. So we're going to be there. We're going to take a crew. We're going to have some fun and meet some other artists and hopefully get to meet some of you in person. I would love that. And I'm really excited to get out of the D.C. area for a few days. (laughs) Yeah. Very stoked on that. Road trip. So, yeah, if you are uh, interested in a road trip yourself or uh, live in the area of North Carolina, you can check out in the show notes for all the details there and you can go and and register. That'll be uh, March 22nd through the 24th. All right, so let's dive into the second episode in this new series, The Wise-Hearted Ones, exploring the creation of the tabernacle story in Exodus. And really underneath all of that is answering this, this bigger question of why does it matter that you make art? So we are going to have a conversation with Deborah Sokolov, the former director of the Center for Theology and the Arts at Wesley Theological Seminary, and get into the answer of that question. Uh, Deborah is a great person for us to talk to about this because she is an artist, she's a theologian, she's a teacher, she's a writer, and she has been working with artists for ever. She's somebody that I met when I was trying to figure out this combination of what happens with this art and faith thing as I graduated from seminary and uh, was really, really helpful in helping me to understand visual arts and ways that we might be able to do things at Convergence. So uh, I'm excited to be able to introduce you to her. So let's, let's get started. Let's do it. So I have with me here today my good friend and mentor, um, Deborah Sokolov. She's an artist, teacher, and author. She's the former director of Henry Luce III Center for the Arts and Religion at Wesley Theological Seminary, where she's now Professor Emerita of Art and Worship. She's a member of Seekers Church in D.C., which is in the tradition of the Church of the Savior. And as an author, her two most recent books are Sanctifying Art, Inviting Conversations Between Artists theologians, and the church, art for faith's sake, and performing the gospel, exploring the borderland of worship, entertainment, and the arts, both fantastic books. And you can see her artwork at uh, her website, dsokolov.com. And we'll put all of those links and everything like that in the show notes so that you can go and visit. But I, I know you, Deborah, as a mentor and a teacher and an incredible encourager you were a i mean you were a huge piece of my development as i was starting convergence and really not necessarily knowing what i was doing <laughs> and helping to shape my thinking about arts and christian community so i i'm really excited to have you here so thank you thanks for being here 
Well, thank you for that aff- affirmation. I, I often think that um, helping other people find their true voice and their true calling is my true calling. Yeah. And that everything else that I do is in service of that. And yeah. that's a very peculiar place to be. You know, nobody pays you to do that. Nobody, <laughs> it's not a job that somebody hires you to do. And yet it really is the thing that I, I think is the most important thing that I've done in my life and that I'm the most proud of. Yeah. And so your affirmation that, that, that I've helped you in those ways is just... Absolutely. <laughs> I think it's so beautiful that you see it that way because that that is definitely a huge, huge gift that you're probably given all the time. You don't even realize it in some cases. <laughs> and through your work, through your books, through your work, all of these things. Well, it's interesting you talk about that um, that I that idea of that part of your calling that like nobody pays you. It's not your your job title, but uh, we we talk about calling a lot at convergence and soul makers as being about more than just what you do, that job right. title or that mission or whatever, but like it, it being tied to becoming who you were created to be, who God created you to be, and then focusing on those making the things you were created to make is the way that we put it, but like really developing the gifts and talents that you have and that those can be used in all kinds of circumstances, regardless of your circumstances and the circumstances change. Um, but I was, I was wondering, uh, yeah, to hear a little bit more on, on your thoughts on call in particular, because I know you've given this a great deal of thought. <laughs> well, uh, the notion of call is really central to our the church that I belong to, and that we try to do everything out of call. Now, not everything can be done out of call. There are sometimes you just have to do something because it's got to be done, whether you feel like it or not, and whether right. you're called to it or not, other than a more general call to be a decent human being. And, you know, if the, I don't know, if the, the sink is is overflowing it's your job to do the best you can to stop right. it even though there was something else you wanted to be about and that might be more lovely to do right but there are certain things that as human beings and as followers of jesus that we are called to do that have nothing to do with our particular calling that brings us joy and love you know all those things and then even within those particular callings of of you know, the, the particular thing or things we are called to, because I do believe that our particular calling changes over, over time and in different stages of our life. Um, even within that particularity of call, there are things that just aren't fun, you know? <laughs> Right. It's it's not all joy and happiness and you know bluebirds and butterflies all the time. It, sometimes it's just hard work. Yeah. When I do a project at the beginning, it's all oh, I can't wait to do it and all you know all that wonderful excitement at the beginning. And then there's the middle part that I refer to t- typically as donkey work. It's <laughs> just Yes, we're all familiar with that. (laughs) (laughs) And you just have to keep going, even when you're not inspired. Um, An an artist friend of mine, an older, uh, she was a mentor to me, actually, I think she, I I haven't seen her in many years, and I believe she she has died. Uh, She used to say, every day, you have to present the body. 
even if all you do is arrange your paint or sweep the floor, every day you need to go into the studio and do something. And, and the term she used was to present the body. And she was very conscious that this was a, you know, a reference to being part of the body of Christ, that you, we present our physical body and we become part of the body in the solitude of the studio. Yeah, I love that. And I, I love these ways of thinking about artistic craft that link to spiritual craft, you know, spiritual disciplines, because I encounter people who are stuck as artists or oftentimes um, some some artists who are very involved in church can kind of sometimes feel like a little bit guilty about getting to make art, you know, getting it's like I get to do this fun thing, this special thing, whatever, and they get stuck because that seems um, frivolous or like it's 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 taking time that I could be doing something more important. And when you shift it to this idea of having a responsibility to develop, to actually just show up, that is part of living out the call. I think that that takes on a whole different different uh, tone and, and an approach of what it is you're actually doing when you're when you're going into the studio or sitting down to write or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That if you're an artist, it's important to take that seriously. That that if that is your calling from God, then it's important to take it seriously, whatever that is. And taking it seriously takes a lot of different forms. Um, I myself do not present the body every day. <laughs> <laughs> um, I my own pattern, which I learned to recognize a long time ago is that I have very long fallow periods when I'm doing some, a whole lot of other things, either because of necessity in my life or because of, because I'm empty, because my well is empty and I need time for it to fill back up. And so I typically have very long fallow periods, sometimes lasting several years at a time when I'm not consciously or intentionally or visibly making art of any kind. And that is all grist for the mill. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's, I think that is hard to understand and, and accept even, even for artists. Like I, I'm thinking about that for myself, even, you know, I feel like I should be productive and got to, you know, turn it out, but it doesn't work that way. And, and I know, I know from experience that if I take a full day and I'm gardening or I take a walk or I'm just not doing anything that when I come back to whatever I'm working on, you know, it can be a 15 minute period that then it all just pours out and it feels like, oh, I should have been working for for eight hours and breaking for 15, but it doesn't, it doesn't work that way. And even like you're saying years of a fallow period of understanding that, like you said, that's grist for the mill. That is a part of living into your call of being able to understand and listen to your, your body and your mind and your, your health as to what do you need right now in order to kind of I don't know, prepare the vessel or whatever for what, you know, what God's going to do through that. Yeah. Well, it's a different kind yeah. of work. 
It, it is. And it, it's also very countercultural. What, what you yeah. just said about <laughs> yeah. feeling like, oh, if I'm an artist and I need to work eight hours a day or 40 yeah. hours a week or whatever yeah. at my art, that is right. such a, a, a capitulation to the 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 work you know i i dare i say capitalist <laughs> way of thinking the workaholic yeah. way of thinking that we have inherited from our culture that i if i'm an artist then i need to justify my existence by working at my art as though it were my job and i i have lived that way a, a lot of times in my life and it's kind of crazy making it is, <laughs> especially because it doesn't work that way. Yeah, it doesn't work that <laughs> so way. So frustrating. <laughs> and, and yet we've, you know, we've taken in all of these messages from the culture that we live in that we have to work, work, work. We have to be productive. We have to, um, we have to justify our lives. I once said to somebody in my church that um, I feel like I have to justify my existence all the time. And he just kind of looked at me and he said, well, you're a Christian. You are justified. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> you're like, oh. <laughs> okay. I need right. to re rethink that one. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Uh, you know, Jesus didn't work all the time. Right. He, he both did and didn't. You know, he yeah. was he was always himself. And I think that's one of the things we need to learn as followers of Jesus that being who we truly are is really what we're supposed to be doing. And if that means I need to take a nap in the afternoon, I get to. Right. <laughs> you know? And yeah. if that means I, I, I'm in an inspired period and I need to spend 20 hours a week, a, a day rather, 20 hours a day in the studio and neglect everything else in my life, then that's what I need to be doing at that time. Right. Those seasons. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And it, you're right. It's learning to trust to trust enough that your that that impulse or that instinct is okay and yes. i think you know you're talking about jesus that he was it was trusting the appropriateness doing what's appropriate in this moment as opposed to yeah what justifies the use of my time right now getting <laughs> right. paid and sometimes he was you know making food for five thousand people and sometimes <laughs> he was off in solitude in the desert yeah. or yeah. wherever he was i don't know where he was yeah but. <laughs> <laughs> yeah and I, I think as artists, being an artist is an identity. It's, it's not, it's who I am, whether I am making art today or not. Yes. It's a way of approaching life that is different than having a nine to five job. It's different than being a mechanic who works, you know, from eight in the morning till four in the afternoon fixing cars and then gets to do something else. I mean, maybe being a mechanic is that person's calling. My brother-in-law is a mechanic and it is his calling, but he also has other things in his life that he likes to do. And that's fine because we all have a lot of things in our lives that we like to do. But as an artist, we don't have to get our living that way. It's nice if we can, but sometimes I have thought, often I have thought that the whole commercial enterprise of art really poisons the joy of art. Once I start trying to work out, you know, what do I have to price this pain, painting at in order to 
justify all right. the hours I spent on it. Could anyone afford to buy it? Right. And do I want the person who can afford to buy it be the one who has that work? Yeah. Um, and I would find myself in the middle of a painting doing math problems in my head. How many dollars per hour was I earning or could I possibly earn so that I could make a living at art? And that was probably the most crazy making period of my life that I, I needed to I needed to pay the bills. But trying to do that by making art when then that prices the market, the, the art out of reasonable, ordinary people to have it, which, which is always the whole point is I want people to enjoy. Right. Yeah. Why are, you know? why are you making if you can? <laughs> yeah. Well, I think that, I mean, this conversation and then the other side of that. So if you get to the point where you say, okay, well, the market is problematic. So I, I'm, I am an artist, like you said, the, the identity and I, I make art because that's just what I do. Then the other side of that, you know, it, uh, what am I trying to say? So to kind of counteract the way that that's received, that I make art because that's that's who I am. And, uh, you know, everybody else in the world is like, okay, well, that's nice, but, you know. <laughs> right. And so then we try to justify it with the, the commercial end of things, and that doesn't quite fit right either. And there's all kinds of different ways that people try to justify why art making is good because it helps you do other things or helps people do other things. But but is isn't there something more than that, deeper than that? Like why why does it matter that we make art in the church in the world? Like especially when there's so many things, you know, the world is on fire. Why why does it matter that that art making happens? Right. What I've come to understand, and it took me a long, long time to get to this understanding, and I don't believe it's the final understanding, but it's the one I'm living with right now, is that whatever we do, whether it's art making or anything else, that our task is really to, to increase the joy in the world. And one of the ways to do that is through enjoying what I do. And that, that's not a superficial, you know, body da I'm happy, but that deep satisfaction that what I'm doing keeps me in the moment and keeps me connected with this moment and with the world around me in a lot of different ways. Um, if, if I am spending most of my day weeping and being depressed because of the state of the world, I am not increasing the joy in the world. I have friends who think that's their job is to, to know about every terrible thing that's happening in the world. Right. And I'm thinking, how do you, <laughs> you can't fix any of it. Right. You, know, you can fix, maybe you can fix this little tiny piece of it, but you can't fix all of it. Why do you need to know all of that? And they'll give me good rational reasons or maybe even good faith reasons. Um, but the answer for me is I don't need to do that. What I need to do is notice the world around me and notice the world within me. And I think in a lot of ways that's 
That is what artists also help others do through their work is to draw attention. And, and as we're kind of talking about the, the cultural values, what we're kind of saying is that there needs to be this understanding of this valuing of that, that, that being attentive to this moment and to what's going on inside of me. And then that pouring out into how I interact with you. <laughs> Not only is that a valuable thing that we see as artists, but that's kind of a big part of what it means to be a Christian, right? You know, that's what Jesus was kind of getting at. <laughs> exactly. 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 So there's this modeling of that and inviting through our, through our work, inviting other people into that as well. Yeah. My church is filled with activists and, you know, they're out there demonstrating for really good causes and, and I don't fault them at all. I, in fact, I, I sometimes think, gee, I should be doing that with them. But then I realize that if I were doing that with them, then I'm not spending the hours that I need to be spending writing liturgy that nourishes them. And so that's another piece of my calling as an artist, as a, a, a poet. My, my poetic form is liturgical prayer. And so if I shirk that time of, yeah. of careful, carefully crafting the words that the congregation are going to say, because I'm out there demonstrating or I'm writing letters or I'm doing all those things that all my activist friends do and that I feel guilty that I'm not doing. <laughs> uh, you know, I have to remind myself that this feeds the congregation. Yeah. This feeds my activist friends. And the more that I am able to attend to the world around me, whether that is the people that I see or, you know, whatever it is, um, and bring that back into the church and into the prayers of the church, then I am doing something. That's what I have to remind myself all the time. Then I am doing something for the betterment of the world in a very, you know, vis visible and, and real way. Yeah. Um, but again, this is part of, you know, long years of practice and reflection on why do I do what I do? Why do I live as not just a visual artist, but as I, I, I've begun to claim the role of poet and that, that liturgical prayer is the form my poetry takes. It's not private poetry, it's public poetry. And just as I more and more have become have become appreciative of public art in all of its forms, you know, you walk down the street and you see a sculpture, you see a mural or something and you can't help but engage with it yeah yeah you know? <laughs> and yeah. usually it's a lot of public art is very whimsical and yeah and my goodness and a city street with sirens blaring and and people asking you for money and people stopping you for whatever good cause they want you to sign a petition for or whatever you know you're walking down the street you can't even have your own thoughts and yet you know here's this piece of art it just makes you smile. Yeah. Or surprise or, or surprise or confusion or whatever it, it is. Whatever. Whatever. Yeah. And and somebody had to spend a lot of time doing that. And as a society, if we don't value that, then what are we are we supposed to just work all the time? Oh my goodness. <laughs> 
you know, again, it's coming back to that workaholic culture that doesn't value art or what artists do, but we want those things. I mean, all the people who go to the movies and watch Netflix and, you know, we, we do value that stuff, but we don't want to pay for it and we don't want to give people time to do it. Right. But somehow we want it. Yeah. it's, It's very schizophrenic, you know? Yeah. I really wonder what that disconnect is between that understanding of I'm surrounding myself with this stuff, but, but it isn't valuable. I guess right. it's because of that production yeah. thing. Yeah. And because in, in our culture, we think only serious things are important and fun things are not important, even though, you know, we spend right. millions of dollars building theme parks, <laughs> you know, amusement parks. Right, right. Um, or, or whatever. Yeah. And yet our discourse is that if it's dark and hard, then it's important. This is part of part of what we're wanting to explore at Soulmakers is how do you help artists have an awareness of the possibility, even though the understanding generally is not there of what the value is of art making or the potential for what art can do. And clearly you can't go into the studio and say, okay, I'm going to I'm going to make that piece of art that's going to change the world. You know, good luck with that one. (laughs) But but still, there's how can we enter into that space with an understanding that there's the potential for that? And and even in filmmaking, I mean, there's certainly, you know, there's political, there's uh, cultural perspectives. I'm, you know, I'm sure there's even there's always spiritual perspectives and everything. Like how how do we kind of become aware of that in those industries so that as a Christian, you're entering it with this whole tool bag, this whole um, understanding of things that you're capable of talking about, but maybe it's not, um, it doesn't have to be a Jesus movie. Maybe trusting the art piece of it a little bit more and having a deeper set of theological tools maybe. Yeah. And that is one of the problems of the relationship of the church and the arts is that the church wants to control the theological message. Right. And um, historically the church has been, especially, you know, since the reformation, um, the Protestant churches, but for a certain, to a large extent, the Catholic church as well wants to control the theological message and artists are dangerous. Right. When you give artists free reign, you don't know what they're going to say. They don't know what, you know, we don't know what we're going to say. We don't know what we're saying until we've said it. Right. Well, and I find it interesting, too. I am I'm surprised at how many artists, writers, dancers, whatever, um, end up in seminary or taking classes because I think if they have that sense of, I think this is for something bigger than me, but I don't know how to, you know, they're not necessarily finding that those tools in their church. And so they go to seminary to develop those tools. But then even so, there's this struggle once you've gained that knowledge uh, and you're starting to apply it. <laughs> and it's like, okay, now where do I use this? Because I, I, I think, like, I wonder if churches were able to see artists as you know, art making as ministry, not not in the church necessarily, but but maybe in the church as well, like as a tool for 
theological reflection, would, would that attitude shift help everybody know what to do with art and artists better? Yeah, I, it, it, it's just an ongoing project. Um, yeah. I, I think you're right that that a lot of artists do wind up in seminary. I've known I knew a lot of. I'm sure artists you do. <laughs> I'm sure you probably know all of them. <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, I this reminds me. I remember when we were close to the beginning and starting convergence, and I was talking with a lot of people and talking with artists locally about what we do and inviting them in and that kind of stuff. And I remember talking to this one girl who was an artist and she was not a Christian and she just kind of had this puzzled look on her face. And she was, cause normally people are like, Oh, art in the church. Oh, that's interesting. But she was like, well, I can see what artists would have to offer the church, but I'm not sure what the church would offer to artists. <laughs> and I was like, Oh, that I've never heard that one before. That's really Interesting. And there's, pro you know, problematic there. And of course, on the other side of it is like churches are often unintentionally saying, I know what we have to offer the artist, but I'm not sure what the artist has to offer us. But like, if you're not thinking about the general thing of what churches have to offer all, all people, I think it's a really good question of what, what, what do churches offer artists specifically and what do artists specifically offer churches because I think that it might be in that specificity that the interesting conversation is is hanging out because maybe there is this specific role that is undefined and that's part of what's so uncomfortable between pastoral leadership and artists. Like they're they're two different kinds of leadership, really, I think. Yeah. They they are. Um one of the problems that just leaps into mind as you frame the question that way is, is that the word artist encompasses so much. Yeah, sure. So um, it's relatively easy to hang a painting on the wall. <laughs> you can, you can do that. A right. lot of churches do that. A lot of churches do use their narthex as exhibition space right. and it's wonderful and it doesn't compete with the worship because the worship mm. happens on the other side of the door right from the narthex so it's it's an experience that people can have but it isn't considered part of worship mm -hmm. um and that's one kind of relationship it's it's a different kind of relationship if we invite the art making to happen in the room and and then you know, it, it just depends. I, I know there are some visual artists who have taught themselves how to paint in public. And so they paint while there's music going on or while there's a sermon going on or something. And then, you know, the big reveal and everybody right. goes, ooh, ah, and they think that's what art is about. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and I find that very problematic. Mm -hmm. Not so much for the artist, but for the audience who think that that's what, how art gets made and, and that art doesn't take time that you can do this wonderful finished painting in 20 minutes. Right. And you can't, I mean, you can, but it's a very particular kind of art and somebody else's art that doesn't lend itself to that, or that doesn't lend itself to um, being topical because that's another thing that, you know, right. if we, 
if you're a painter whose work responds to what's going on in the absolute immediate, then people respond to it a particular way. But if your work is more ethereal or more uh, general or more interior, I, I mean, more anything mm-hmm. than responding to the immediate issue, whether the issue is political or climate change or whatever, yeah. um, then it's devalued in a lot of ways Right. Right. by the public. Right. And, and by the public, I also mean by congregations who, you know, yeah. want legitimately want art to help them know how to think. Right. You know, I, I don't, it, it's not wrong. It's just not the only thing that visual artists do. And then right. when you expand the word artist to mean poets and different kinds of musicians and different kinds of, you know, screenwriters and playwrights and actors, then, then you're in yet again, a different universe of how that can interact with the life of the church. Yeah. Yeah. I, I just think there's, I think there's a, 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 maybe a misunderstanding, like you're talking about the painting and, you know, and during the sermon time or whatever, I, I think that's a misunderstanding of what the real power and place of art is. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, just as you were talking, I was thinking was what can the art, what can the church offer an artist? Yeah. It, one of the things that the church can offer an artist is genuine, thoughtful engagement with their art. Yeah. And if indeed you, one, we, the church, a church, um, featured a particular artwork and said, let's spend five minutes of the word yeah. <laughs> time just looking at this piece of work. Just yeah. stop talking. <laughs> I'm not going to explain it to you. Right. Just look at this thing and maybe it's big enough for the whole congregation to see, or maybe it's a small thing and then you can magnify it with projection or whatever. Um, don't play music. Don't distract. <laughs> don't, yeah. It know. doesn't need help. Let's just look at this object for five minutes, which will fe- feel like an eternity to pretty much any Christian congregation <laughs> or pretty much any American who isn't yeah. already a meditator, right? Um, five minutes, let's spend some time looking at this. And then let's spend the rest of the allotted 20 minutes or whatever you allot for a sermon for responses from the group mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. in the hearing of the artist. Yeah. That is something... You know, if I hear, oh, you're so talented, one more time, I'm going to scream, right? <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm not so talented. <laughs> what, do you, you know, how, what does this work make you think about or feel right. or something? Um, and so frame that conversation that way. Yeah. Um, that, is, that is one of the most important gifts that the church can give to an artist because they never get that anywhere except maybe in a crit group of other artists. And you know, as you're answering this, is I'm realizing that this is also probably the answer to the other side of the question of how do we help artists become more theologically aware or aware of how their work can help people learn to see by by exactly that, by hearing that response, those responses, then they're able to, I have seen that. I have definitely witnessed that as people get those responses, they realize, oh, Oh wow! I had no I, I had no idea. Or I can ask this question in this way, 
which is going to prompt somebody to to think even deeper. So it's interesting that what may be part of that training is also part of the gift. Yes. Yes. That's really yeah. cool. Yeah. Well, Deborah, before this has been an amazing conversation, I, but before we kind of wrap up, I I just kind of wondered as someone who has mentored and taught and nurtured artists of all sorts over so so many years, what what questions do you see kind of popping up over and over again or struggles for those artists at this intersection of art and faith? And how do you how do you encourage artists or what do you kind of find yourself telling telling them? Well, people do bump up against the making a living thing, you know, um, everything from how, how should I price this work to, you know, should I give up my day job and right. You know, what happens if I give up my day job? Right. (laughs) Um, those are really, I I think everybody runs into those. Yeah, sure. Um, we used to live in a universe back in the time when people lived in mostly villages and small towns where, you know, there was somebody who, one or two people who played musical instruments and a few people who had beautiful singing voices and maybe a really good storyteller and somebody who knew how to make beautiful carvings and everybody relied on those people in the village in their village. Yeah. And so there was room in the universe for a whole lot of people who did those things because everybody served their own village. Right. In our commercial world, there is less and less room for more and more people who have this calling and these, these innate desires to do things because most of the space is taken up by the famous people. Right. Right. So we don't invite the best singer that we personally know to sing, to, Hmm. to entertain at the wedding reception. We hire a DJ to play the music of the, the records of the famous records, whatever, you know? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, we don't we aren't content in our churches to be the choir let alone let the more the better singers in our group be the choir we hire professionals to fill in the roles in the choir so that the choir sounds professional so our values have been warped and we haven't and we no longer give space for the local people who really are often quite good to do what they do. And so I I think visual artists particularly have a really hard time um, because there's no place for them to do work casually, you know, but that's because we have created a world. We collectively, our society has created a world in which there's no more room for these local expressions. So the church can do better. The church can say who we have is who we have. Mm. And so who will sing? 
It's so interesting because I'm, I'm very much marinating in the questions around what, what is the role of the artist in the 21st century, given all of these constraints. And yet at the same time, there's obviously questions about how the church operates and what, what, what does the church look like going forward in the same way? And I, I feel like in everything you just said, to me, I saw those two questions come together and see how much they really can be integrated. The, the answers to both of those questions, so much can happen if churches and, and the, that traditional role that the artists play, if we could all kind of get together, there's a lot, there's just so much we could do in our local communities Yeah, using both of these because they are meant yeah. to go together. They are. They are. There's yeah. no question about it that we actually can't have church without the arts. Yeah. From the building that we meet in, which is architecture. Right. And, <laughs> you know, the chairs we sit on, somebody had to design them and yeah. build them. But, you know, we, we can't do it without the arts, but we have to do it thoughtfully with the arts. Yeah. And not always call on the same two artists. Right. <laughs> right. You yeah. Know, who else gets to do it? We need a more participatory model. And in the end, I really believe that's what the church can offer the world. This is not the model of the world. This yeah. can be the model of the church so that the church isn't always chasing what the world teaches, but saying, here's another way. This is what the kingdom of God looks like. This is how we love one another by making beautiful things together or making maybe awkward, strange looking yeah. things together. Maybe <laughs> by singing messes off together. Key together. <laughs> you know, maybe singing off key and still appreciating the oddness of every voice. Mm -hmm. You know, and that's what we, you know, Jesus said, let them see how you love one another. Yeah. And show the world a different way than this crazy workaholic star system that we have, where only the stars get millions of dollars and most people get nothing. But the church doesn't have to be like that. The church doesn't have to be a hierarchical structure. This church can distribute its leadership and distribute the art making and distribute the joy. That's just <laughs> yeah, mic drop, right? <laughs> you know, one of the biggest things that I take away from that conversation was her advocating for uh, the way that the church can have a become a model for a different way of doing this by using local artists, by supporting people in your community. And I think beyond churches, but just Christians in general, like to have this um, supporting your neighbor artist to hire the person that lives in your neighborhood or is local as opposed to like the wedding band, you know, that whatever does all the covers. Right, right. Um, it reminds me, I actually had a conversation with a friend who was telling me about that Torah actually has that concept of supporting your neighbor in business. Like that's a, a part of Jewish culture. And the idea, which is really cool, the idea is that 
it, not just that you're supporting your local business, um, but you're supposed to per, like buy from your local business, even if some big box store comes in and offers a better deal. Um, you're still supposed to support your neighbor. And the idea is that not only are you supporting them and helping them to grow, and they would obviously be helping you to grow their your business as well, but if some somebody else is offering like a better deal or a better quality product, you are, you're then going to go back to your neighbor and be like, hey, this guy has a better product. You need to get better. You know, like I, I'm going to purchase from you or I'm going to have you play at my wedding, right. but you better be darn good. You know, so this idea of like really being invested in local artists to not only help them support themselves, but also to be accountability and advocating for the importance of what they do. Like, I think that's really beautiful. I do too. And it reminds me of that quote, love thy neighbor. Somebody really famous said that, right? <laughs> yeah, I've heard that before. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, I loved that conversation. I, I, something, you know, as I'm behind the boards, you know, mm. doing my thing, producing this podcast, it's, you know, there are things that are said where it kind of takes me away from that for a second. And one of the main things was recapping uh, what y'all said about the disconnect of where we are at as a society and our culture of that we want art, we need art, mm -hmm. but we don't want to pay for it. And we want it super fast. And um, you asked that really great question of, I wonder what the disconnect is. And to me, just answering what I think my disconnect is, mm. is because everything comes so fast for me, because I'm able in an instant to make a song with AI right now, that I am able to do things so fast and I don't want to wait for it. But I know, <laughs> I know deep down that it takes time to create these things. But I also know that as a consumer and being on the opposite side of the stage or uh, in the gallery mm -hmm. or at the movies or uh, listening to my favorite podcast, which is this one, <laughs> of course, <laughs> um, is that that disconnect is because our society is like that. So how do we change? Yeah. How, how you know, for me, it's stop and breathe for a second mm -hmm. and realize what you are participating in, you know? Yeah, yeah. It's this idea of like, shut your phones off, shut your brain off, mm. maybe shut your brain off, mm -hmm. I don't know. So uh, again, I could listen to you guys talk for hours and hours, Yeah, that but was maybe great. our listeners couldn't, so. <laughs> Good. Well, I this is a great conversation, and we're going to continue this in our next episode of The Wise-Hearted Ones, where we explore how aesthetics shape you with Dr. Elise Edwards. Yeah, well, I think part of understanding what it means theologically to be committed to creativity, I think, goes back to this idea of knowing that we have to have a vision. Be sure to join us on this journey as we continue to discover the original call of the artist and reconsider your creative gifting in light of the wise-hearted ones. Thanks for listening to Be, Make, Do, a Soulmakers podcast with your host, Lisa Smith. This episode was produced by me, Danny BH. Be sure to follow us on Instagram at Soulmakers Podcast. 
Want to join the movement? Sign up for our newsletter at soulmakers.org. All links and resources for this episode can be found in our show notes.